Good morning. Praise God for the freedom that we have in Christ. Amen. Our heartbeat as a church, one of our heartbeats as a church, is that we'd be a church that's involved in reaching the world, and that's why I thought it appropriate to share with you and to have a portion of our, our team that went to Puerto Rico to share with you on some of the things that God did there. Uh, I, I want to point out to you, as I get started this morning, that, that the sharing of the gospel among peoples who don't yet know Christ happens primarily through the planting, the establishment of healthy local churches who can do the work of sharing the gospel long after the mission team leaves. So one of the things that I was particularly excited about is we, we didn't just go on a, a random mission trip. We didn't just go do good deeds for a week that were disconnected uh, from a local church, but we were on the ground partnering with a, a local church that's been established to proclaim the name of Christ there in Puerto Rico long after we leave. And I, and I want to speak this morning a bit more about why a healthy mission strategy involves planting local churches and supporting the work of planting local churches. And I want to read for you from Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. Paul says at the end of his letter, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed and the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Elycrium I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Would you bow with me? God, we pray that you would continue your work in North Roanoke Baptist Church, that we would be on the front lines of helping those who have not seen to see and those who have not heard to hear that Jesus saves. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I want to speak uh, somewhat briefly on how and why we reach the world, a brief theology of missions. Before we dive in, I, I want to remind you of the difference between evangelism and missions, because often those two things get confused, and they are different. We can do evangelism on a missions trip, but they're two different concepts. Evangelism is sharing the gospel in relatively familiar contexts. So with your family, in the workplace, on a plane, if you're next to somebody that speaks English and has a generally familiar culture, then you're doing evangelism as you try to share the gospel with them. This is not, by the way, the responsibility of just people who have the gift of evangelism. I've heard that uh, for 40, I'm 41 years old, I've probably heard it for 35 years. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Congratulations, there's not a Christian that has the gift of evangelism. It's not a spiritual gift. The gift that's mentioned in Ephesians 4.11 is the gift of the evangelist. So there are people who are particularly gifted at preaching a sermon and calling people unto salvation, but every Christian is responsible for sharing the gospel. We know this because in Acts chapter 8, when persecution comes, it's the apostles who stay behind in Jerusalem while the church flees doing what? Sharing the gospel. 
We all have a responsibility to know the gospel and to share it in our sphere of influence. So I want to ask you, with whom are you sharing the gospel? Do you have a plan to share the gospel? Do you have tracks in your car? Do you have them in your coat pocket? Do you, are you equipped? We, we went to Puerto Rico and I was reminded, I had to go, you know, four hour flight away to be reminded that I can carry a tract in, in Roanoke. And, and in the weeks to come, not long from now, we're going to have 500 gospel tracts prepared with a little sticker on the back that indicates that it came from North Roanoke. And I'm going to challenge our church in the next six months, between now and December 31st, to have at least two meaningful gospel conversations in which you give away a tract at the end of that conversation or share that tract personally with someone in that conversation between now and December 31st of 2019. I think for sure that we can have 500 between all of our members of our church, 500 meaningful gospel conversations between now and the end of the year. You agree with that? So I want you to start thinking now about who are my two. Who are my two people I'm going to have a gospel conversation with between now and the end of 2019. But secondly, in addition to evangelism, we all have a responsibility uh, to do missions. And, And missions is crossing cultural and linguistic or language barriers to establish the gospel among a people with inadequate or non-existent access to it. The people who don't yet see, they will see. People who don't yet hear will have an opportunity to hear. Both are our responsibility. The God who saved us has a global mission. He's saving a people for himself out of every tribe and tongue and language and nation. He's making one nation out of all the nations. So, why do we do missions? More of a topical or thematic message this morning. I want to share with you nine reasons that we do missions. First, we do missions because Jesus saved us for the purpose of sending us. Jesus has saved us for the purpose of sending us. We see that in Psalm 67. Why do we want to know the face of God? So that others may know His salvation, His way among all nations. John 20, 21, the Father is sent me. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And why does he send us? Luke chapter 19, verse 10, to seek and to save that which was lost. In in other words, we long for Christ to be glorified, magnified, worshiped, known in all the earth as the all-glorious Savior. And he uses those that he saves to share the message of his salvation. As John Piper famously said, Missions exist because there are places and people where worship does not. We don't just do missions because we need something to do. We do missions because God is the most magnificent, glorious person that we could ever know. Whenever I go, I tell people how great Mac and Bob's calzones are. I love Mac and Bob's calzones. And I will try other calzones just to be able to prove to people that Mac and Bob's is better. I had a calzone on vacation this week, and the first thing I thought after the first bite was, Mac and Bob's crushes this calzone. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. If I'm that passionate and committed to sharing with the whole world that they need to come to Salem and have a Mac and Bob's calzone, shouldn't I have that same disposition about God who I've tasted and seen that he's good? The gospel isn't just for our people. I'll go anywhere and tell you how great a Mac and Bob's calzone is, even in places they don't even know what a calzone is. I'd be like, you should have a calzone, but just get it from Mac and Bob's. How much more should we tell people, you should know Jesus? Well, he, he's not like me. 
She's not like me. They don't speak my language. So? Jesus came to rescue them. And he's rescued you so that they might be rescued. The Joshua Project says a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. In other words, to get the gospel to the nations, to the whole world, to let the whole world know how good Jesus is, we've got to know something about people groups. Of the nearly 11,500 different people groups in the world, listen to this church, 6,700 of them have little to no access to the gospel in a language they can understand. That's more than 3 billion people living in more than 6,700 different people groups with zero to very little access to the gospel. That is the greatest problem in the world. It's not suicide. It's not depression. It's not a million of the other problems that we could list. The greatest problem in the world today is there are 6,700 different people groups representing more than 3 billion people with little to no access to the gospel. Can you think of a problem greater than that? There is no problem greater. And I've got good news for you this morning. God has given us his power in order to address the world's greatest problem. We do missions because it is one of the primary purposes for which God has given us his power. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And by the way, when this was written, we were in the remotest part of the earth. People didn't know where we were. We weren't on anybody's map. And praise God that the gospel has made it to the remotest part of the earth so now we can reach our own Jerusalem and take it out to the places that still have not yet heard. Did you get that? You will get power when the Spirit comes. We don't have to wait for Jesus to return, he tells us in verse 7 of Acts, to experience the power of God. You can know the power of God now because he pours out his Holy Spirit for the purpose of mission. Now some of you are like, I haven't known the power of God in my life in so long, I don't know what to do. Well, how about getting involved in God's mission? You say, I, I feel powerless, I, I, I just... Don't sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, that He's acting and moving. Well, guess what? If you want to know where the Spirit of God is at work, then get in on God's mission. He gives you His power for the purpose of mission, not for you to be comfortable, not for you to have everything you would ever want in life. Now, I've just come back from vacation, and it was very nice. I'd like to go back. But Jesus didn't save us to just have vacations. Vacations are good. He tells us to have rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. It's good to take intentional periods of rest. But Jesus does not save us so that our entire lives can be vacations. Where we eat too many Oreos and drink too many Coca-Colas like I did this, this past week. Or he didn't save us to make a pile of cash and retire early. Jesus didn't save you to pursue the American dream. If my dream is to make a pile of cash and retire early and have a beach house, 
then I've totally missed the mission of God. I'm not treasuring Jesus in his kingdom, and I'm going to miss out on the power of God in my life. God gives us his power to crucify sin in our lives and to stay united with one another in hot pursuit of his mission in the world. So if your marriage is stale, if your work life is blah, if your parenting is off, recalibrate it to the mission of God and watch God work. Well, you don't know what my husband said to me. You don't know what she did. No, I don't, but I know what Christ did for you. And I know that means you should get over it, forgive, pursue healing, and get involved in the mission of God in the world and watch Him pour out His Spirit and give you power. Thirdly, we do missions because Christ has commanded us to make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Familiar words from Jesus Christ, words that Bible scholars call the Great Commission. The nations who are at war with God become His friends. How? Through the ever-expanding witness of the church to the glory of Christ. We take the gospel outward because our lives are oriented upward and the Spirit of God is renewing us and making us more like Christ inwardly. Fourthly, we don't do missions merely for the sake of missions. We do it for the glory of God. All of life, Colossians 3.17 tells us, is to be oriented toward the glory of God. We don't just worship when we enter the church building on Sunday morning. If your definition of worship is limited to what we do corporately, you've missed out on 99.5% of the life that God wants you to live for the glory of God. All of our life, our work life, our married life, our parenting life, our coaching life, our social life, our church life is to be lived for the glory of God. And get this, if we are really worshiping and encountering God, we will be involved in His mission of making disciples and equipping others for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4. Did you know that the work of the ministry is not defined by the limitations of your church building? Our nominating committee is in the process of finding folks who are willing to serve on committees. When they call you, I I hope you'll agree to serve. But did you know the work of the ministry is not just committee assignment stuff? In fact, it's not even primarily committee assignment stuff. The work of the ministry is the work of making disciples. It's not how many committees you can get on or avoid getting on. It's what are you doing in the world? The ministry that God has called us to is a ministry that takes, out, takes place primarily outside of these walls. And, and our job as pastors and ministers is to equip you, and I, and I pray that we're doing a good job and we'll even do a better job to equip you with the work of befriending people for the cause of making disciples. Fifthly, we do missions. To do missions, now we're getting into the to the heart of what I want you to understand that, that I really didn't understand until I was in my 30s and I'd been around church life a long time and, and when I saw this passage in Romans that we just read, it, it blew my mind. To do missions, we must plant and or support the work of planting local churches because disciples are made in local churches. Did you know you can't make a disciple if there's no church? How do you baptize somebody? How do you teach somebody in an ongoing way? 
you got to have a church. Not just a little teaching, teaching them, did you see that in Matthew 28? Teaching them all that Christ has commanded. In other words, there's two big assumptions here that you're going to baptize and teach in order to make disciples. For there to be ongoing authoritative teaching, there's got to be leaders identified and trained who can communicate the gospel to people in their own language. For there to be biblical accountability and mutual encouragement in the one another's in the Christian life. Love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another. 57 one another's that are commanded of Christians in the New Testament. How do you do that if you don't have a church family? You can't live as a disciple outside of a local church. To make a disciple, we've got to plant churches and support the work of planting churches. So that when we're long gone from Puerto Rico, when we're long gone from China, when we're long gone from wherever it is in the Middle East that God would take us, or wherever it is in Europe that God would take us, that the church that remains is able to continue the work of making disciples who make disciples. Sixthly, to do missions, we must plant or support the work of planting churches where none or few exist. How in the world do we make disciples of all the nations? The word is the word from which we get our word ethnicity. All, not just all 196 countries in the world. That's not what Paul is talking about. Every single tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Every little people group. How do we get the gospel to every single group of people in the world? I want to call your attention back to Romans chapter 15, verse 19. Just a portion of it. Paul says at the close of his letter to Rome. Why did Paul write Romans? It's this incredible doctrinal epistle, right? Where we learn about sin and judgment and condemnation and that that we're all under the wrath of God unless we come to Christ. But why does he tell Rome all of that? Chapter 15 gives us the answer. He's writing to say at the end of his third missionary journey, if I can get to Rome, there's a reason I want to get there. I want you to send me out to another group of people who haven't heard the gospel. It's a long fundraising letter for Paul's next missionary journey journey. And here's what he says. From Jerusalem to Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now this is a territory that's the size of about New England with some major bodies of water in the middle. And he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ here. What in the world is Paul saying? What do you mean you fully preached the gospel in this region? This is an astounding claim. By foot and by boat, he's fully preached the gospel. What in the world does he mean? He surely cannot mean that he's preached the gospel to every human being in the region. And that's not what he means. Rather, he means that he's planted enough churches in that territory to cover the entire territory with the message of the gospel. He's done the work of establishing a witness to the gospel among the peoples who were there. And now he's ready to move on to new territory that still has not seen, that still has not heard. In other words, Paul did not measure his mission success by adding up the number of decisions made for Christ. But rather by ensuring ongoing access to the gospel for peoples throughout the region where he served. You see, Paul knew 
that he could only make so many tents, that he could only sponsor so many children. He knew the answer to the world's greatest problem was not Paul, but it was the living Lord Jesus Christ working through his established church, ever-expanding church, down through every generation until Christ returns. You see, when we, when we get our passion for missions, a lot of times it's like, well, what can I do? What, who's the kid that I can sponsor? Who's the thing that I can do? Where's the well that I could dig? And these are all good things. But if we put these things ahead of establishing a witness to Christ through a local church that communicates the gospel in the language that people can understand, it's like putting a band-aid on somebody that's bleeding out. We've got to get churches preaching the gospel among people who will otherwise not hear it. We've got to stop patting ourselves on the back and making ourselves feel good about the kid we've got on our refrigerator while we're doing nothing to get the gospel proclaimed in languages that still can't hear. Mission trips are not about making ourselves feel good. It's about the work of getting the gospel proclaimed among people who otherwise would not hear it and letting those churches once established sponsor those kids in that community. Letting those churches dig those wells. Teaching those churches those methodologies so that they can do those things there. We've turned missions into a program to make ourselves feel good about what we can do rather than about what Christ will do if we give ourselves over to being anonymous and not caring if we never get credit or we never feel good as long as Christ is glorified. I didn't plan to say that. But it's true. Once Paul had fully preached the gospel in one region, he was ready to move to the next region. At North Roanoke Baptist Church, we want to see the whole world filled with enough biblically faithful churches to get the gospel shared among three plus billion people who have little to no access to the gospel. Why? Because we long for the day when Christ has the worship he's due from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Revelation 5.9. In my conversations With Pastor Andres, he said that there were approximately 25 doctrinally sound, biblically faithful churches on the entire island of Puerto Rico. That's 25 churches for 3 million people. That's why we're serving Iglesia Biblica Metro in Carolina, Puerto Rico. It's also why we strongly support the International Mission Board. Every Sunday that you give, a portion of what you give goes directly to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering to support missionaries and church planters who are living their lives, learning new languages and customs, new living conditions, new musical styles, new climates and new foods. Why? Because Christ has made them new. And when Christ turns the lights on in your previously sin-darkened heart, He will give you, whether you're called to go permanently or not, He will give you a heart to take the light of Christ to the darkest darkness there is. Missionary John Faulkner, who was a Scottish aristocrat and had the opportunity to live his life in luxury, instead went and spent his life among the people of Yemen. He was buried there, and he said this, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with life. Perhaps God is calling you to go spend your life so that a land that is flooded with darkness might know the light of the Christ who has saved you. 
Seventh, I want you to know that missions takes all of us. Paul doesn't write the book of Romans to just one person and say, I'm calling you to go with me. He writes the book to an entire church. He's saying the whole church has to be involved in this work of launching out church planters like Paul. We all have a responsibility to be senders. We should all long for the day when Isaiah's vision is fulfilled and it is declared in all the earth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory, Isaiah 6.3. It's why we give, it's why we pray, it's why we send, it's what we work toward, and it's why we are asking Christ to raise up five or more missionary units to be in training or on the ground by 2030 out of this local church. You say, well, that's costly. The mission trip was costly. Sending money to the IMB is costly. It's going to cost us something. Yes, missions is costly, church. But it is nothing compared to the price that Jesus paid for his mission trip. He paid it all. To come on a rescue mission. For the people that God raises up to go, it will be costly. It will cost you the comforts of living in the United States of America. And for the people who remain, it will also be costly. It's hard to see your son or your daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter not grow up or not have their career, not become the lawyer or the doctor or the small business owner or whatever it is that you envision that they would be and be right down the street. It's costly to send them half a world away and to watch them do those things somewhere else so that they can give their lives to the work of planting a local church. But that's what God would have us to pray for. I pray that God would make my children little missionaries for Jesus. That's not easy to pray. Much easier to pray that God would keep them right next door. And I get to see my grandbabies grow up. Missions is costly. God sent His only begotten Son and He calls us all to demonstrate His generosity toward us by being generous for the sake of His mission. I'm so thankful for a church that is increasingly understanding that it's nothing to give away our financial resources because when we do that, we train our hearts all the more to treasure Christ our King. You say it's it's sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice, but I tend to agree with C.T. Studd, who was a missionary to China, India, the Sudan, and the Belgian Congo, where he was buried. C.T. Studd was a missionary from He lived from 1860 to 1931. He said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for Him. No sacrifice. When I was growing up, there were 6 billion people on the planet. Today there are 7.7 billion and soon there will be 8 And according to Paul, we owe them the gospel. Especially the three plus billion people who will not hear unless we get a church established among them. The eighth reason we do missions is because we owe all kinds of lost people the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. If you belong to Christ this morning... You owe your life lived for the lost. Greeks and barbarians, Muslims and Mormons, Ivy League and blue collar, Middle Eastern and Middle American. As those who've received the gospel church, we are under divine obligation to give our lives 
to the cause of getting the gospel to others. And then finally, we must get the gospel to the world because the world so desperately needs to hear God's good news and be saved. When I was serving at Southeastern Seminary, our president went on a mission trip to Southeast Asia and he came back a changed man. And the change that God produced in his heart became a change in our seminary and in many other people. I was there the evening that he first shared this story. And I want to read it to you now. One evening... My driver turned down a street that was that I was totally unprepared for. Suddenly, on both sides of the road for at least a half mile, hundreds and hundreds of prostitutes lined the sidewalks. Some were not more than 11 or 12. <laughs> the faces... Of these little girls and women I will never forget. Sadness, emptiness, and hopelessness were etched across their countenance. Smiles, if there was one, were forced, lacking any sense of genuineness. Later, I was informed that most of these girls and women had been deceived and basically kidnapped. Sex slave traders prey on ignorant and unsuspecting parents, especially in rural areas, promising a better life for their children in the big city. As I looked at these tragic faces, it hit me. Somewhere, they have a mom and a dad. Do they have any idea what has happened to their precious daughters? I was overcome with a sense of sorrow and despair I have seldom experienced. That moment changed our president, it changed our seminary, and it changed me. Because there is only one type of salvation that will fundamentally, fundamentally cleanse and heal and restore in all the ways that are needed. My heart says, yes, I, I want to adopt a bunch of these girls, but there's just not enough people to adopt all the people who need adoption. Yes, adoption is good. Yes, all the things that we want to do right away to cure that problem are good. But there's only one thing that will systemically change that culture and bring hope to lives that are being ravaged by the evil one. And it is that we would get churches among these people proclaiming the gospel and living it out where they are. People will not come to Christ and become his disciples Unless someone proclaims to them with words they can understand the gospel. And then welcomes them into a local community of disciple-making disciples. This is the work of missions. And it is the work that we are privileged to be involved in directly. And through our involvement with the International Mission Board and by praying that God would raise up more who would go. This morning, as we close, and I know it's late, 
I just want to ask you, are you passionate for reaching lost people around the world? And are you open to responding in obedience to however it is that Christ would call you to be involved? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to hear what you did in Puerto Rico. We thank you that you have made us a part of a network of 47,000 churches that is a part of getting the gospel to places and peoples where they won't otherwise hear the gospel unless we give sacrificially and go sacrificially for the sake of your great name. So God, as we stand and sing in just a moment, I pray that you would challenge us to be generous, to be willing, to be eager, to do whatever it is that you would ask us to do because, Jesus, you are worthy of worship from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.